Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Done deal with just hours left before the kickoff of Monday Night Football. Charter and Disney strike an agreement to bring ESPN back to millions of Spectrum customers. But has broadcast TV really dodged a bullet, or is this the beginning of the end for the bundle? Plus, Twinkies and Jam, two staples of the grocery aisle, announcing a $5 billion-plus merger today. What it could mean for snack foods and how the weight loss drug phenomenon factors in. And later, China versus Apple, the nationalist campaign being waged on social media in Beijing. And how it could deal a blow to the world's biggest tech company. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq Market Site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with football fans breathing a sigh of relief ahead of Aaron Rodgers' New York Jets debut. Disney and Charter inking a deal to end a blackout that was keeping ESPN and all of Disney's cable and linear channels blacked out for all Spectrum customers in New York and around the country. Shares of both stocks higher today. But who came out on top in this deal? CNBC's Julia Borson's got the latest. Julia. <laughs> Well, Melissa, sources on both sides are describing this as a win-win. Disney and Charter calling it transformative, calling this deal transformative as it combines linear TV rights and also digital distribution. And it gives new appeal to Charter TV's business while at the same time dramatically increasing the reach of Disney Plus with ads and also Disney's payment for that app. Now, Disney Plus ad-supported tier will be included in Spectrum's TV Select video packages at what they call a wholesale arrangement for all of Spectrum's video subscribers. Now, ESPN Plus will be included in Spectrum TV Select Plus video packages. And when ESPN launches its direct-to-consumer flagship service, it will be made available to Spectrum TV Select customers as well. Plus, Charter says it will sell all of Disney's direct-to-consumer services to its broadband-only users. Now, Guggenheim, with a buy rating on Disney, writing, quote, we believe that today's deal reflects a trade-off from linear economics, but positions both Disney and Charter to drive value amid the shift towards streaming in a digital future. So there are some signs of the bundle certainly getting skinnier. Charter is dropping some of Disney's smaller channels, including Freeform and Disney XD. But for this, the, but the benefit for Disney is far outweighing that because they're going to get new compensation for Disney Plus. And that reach, expanding the reach of Disney Plus with ads, also increases the potential for that streaming ad business. Meanwhile, Charter has a new appeal. All these extra access to apps in order to hold on to its pay TV subscribers and retain that part of its business. Melissa. All right, Julia, thanks. Julia Borston on this deal. Is there really a win-win situation, Tim, as a shareholder of Disney, I ask you? Uh, It's really hard for me to understand this. Um, On some level, and the journal coined this like a referendum on the future of of TV. And, And, you know, 
whether this really helps define that, it seems like Disney had major, major concessions here in terms of their ability to control their product. Uh, and, and it was all, always supposed to be about DTC. The problem is if you don't control the pipes in a lot of the cases, this is where you end up. Um, it does seem to me we learned a couple things. ESPN probably more valuable than it seemed yesterday, I, I, I believe. That's one of the outcomes here. Um, it, it, ESPN Plus appears to be more like garbage than it did yesterday. So it, it is a case where I, I just think Disney maybe finds that the broader distribution is the more uh, profitable model. And again, it kind of gets back to the new form of TV. I mean, whether it's Netflix that started this with an ad-supported tier, is this kind of, that, by the way, very positive for Netflix. So if you think about it, uh, maybe this is just uh, linear TV 2.0. I mean, it, it, it's obviously not linear, but it does feel like people are ready to, to watch TV with ads and ad supported model. And that's where everybody wants to be again. Yeah. I, I think it's 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 six of one half dozen of another. It's not clear right now uh, who won. I think it's sort of win-win. When I look at the alternative, it was bad to disaster. Bad for charter, not a disaster, though. But for Disney, I think it would have been a disaster, actually. So that we didn't end up there, I do think that's better for each side. But it does seem, if you look at the stock's reaction, that charter shareholders felt happier about the deal than Disney shareholders. Um, but I do think it's still, I mean, all right, this wasn't the break that we were expecting, the huge change. But it's a change, and it's, it's, it's not like it's over. The dynamics in place that made this change are going to continue. Yeah. I don't know if it's a win-win. I mean, it just seems like 11th hour, needed to get something done. I mean, the way Disney traded today, it wasn't particularly, I don't know, all that yep. inspiring. No. It opens on the highs, basically closes, not on the lows, but around the lows. No bounce whatsoever. Didn't trade a lot of volume. Traded 25 million shares today. Typically trades 15. Maybe if it traded 65, 70 and closed on the highs of the day, we'd have a conversation. Charter is interesting. 11 times next year's numbers. They speak at a conference on the 13th. This stock, even with a 30% bounce over the last year or so, has still been cut in half from its all-time high. But at least you can make, I think, a case that there's some momentum. There's no momentum behind Disney right now. It's funny. You know, I go back a year ago. Um, it was at the Code Conference, and Bob Iger, before he was back as a CEO, sat down with Kara Swisher. And for all intents and purposes, he said linear TV is dead. He was <laughs> praising Netflix. Remember, we had Julia on um, that day, I think, talking about it on the show. So it's interesting when Tim just said it's about the pipes again. It's about distribution, that sort of thing. And just look at the outperformance. We're talking about it right now, a Comcast of a charter, that sort of thing. So the jury's still out on here. I do agree, though, with ESPN. I mean, like, that is the thing. That, that is the thing that they are going to quickly move to monetize. And I do think it's interesting. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I, I think uh, Bob Iger brought back uh, Mayor and uh, a couple of guys to, right. who, who are, okay. you know, very instrumental in, um, you know, helping him prior to his, uh, you know, leaving the company a few years ago to figure this thing out. And I think that this is obviously going to be a really important thing that, you know, th this, this move, whatever they do, I think really determines the future of this company as, like, you know, a, a media company you know, X parts. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it does underscore the weakness in terms of the offerings on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, you as a viewer were looking to watch <laughs> U.S. Open on ESPN+, Plus and were disappointed. And yeah, So, so mean, what, is this, what, what is this package serving, and where's Disney's strength in the streaming business? It can't kill off linear TV at this point. Not that it wants to, but I mean, that, that seemed to be sort of the inevitability, right, that people were jumping to, that this is going to be eventually the, the march to the end of linear TV hasn't really done that, 
Um, there's a place for both, at least for now. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a tough weekend in my house for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even sure there is football in New York after last night. So let, let's be clear. I, I just think that the fact that we're, we're talking about a Spectrum Plus um, bundle that's going to include, you know, content that Disney. I mean, you know, on some level, that sounds really bullish. It's, it sounds like. And again, the fact that we're going back to an ad supported model when DTC and streaming and we're going to charge, we're going to have pricing power was supposed to be the model. It's changing before our eyes. And, and that's something that kind of brings you back to the legacy player. So I, I realize that the content that Disney has, at least I think the sports content is worth paying for. I want it. I just need to make sure I have it in the right vehicle. And, and I don't need the underwater basket weaving that, that, that also comes on someone that they're dedicated offering. So. Um, sorry, I'm a little frustrated, but I mean, the bottom line is I'm frustrated with the stock. I'm frustrated with the sports. Um, and, and I don't think we know right now, other than we know that charter seems like they got what they wanted. Right. <laughs> is it really I mean, don't laugh at me. Come on. Is it that on the Ocho? Is that when they do those? The Ocho, yeah. when they have but those like, crazy events? Can they throw up like a, a, a 10, 15 year chart of Disney? It, it's oh. truly absolutely astounding. Like literally yeah. it's flirting with those March 2020 lows, mm-hmm. right? Where it, it, it basically, you know, everything was being thrown out then. And then if you got to go all the way back, I think it's 13 or 14, when we started talking about the streaming capabilities, we talked about how Disney wanted to capture a little bit of that Netflix pixie dust, right? And they were making some content moves. They were making some uh, digital uh, technology moves, that sort of thing. And that stock went from 50 to 100. Do you remember that? Like I think about a year, year and a half or so. And then if you just look at it, it's right back you know, below those levels here. And it really feels like there's just, I don't know. I mean, there's well, lower lows. The, the streaming um, multiple was something that Disney got in the early days of announcing Disney Plus. And they were getting something like if you, a lot of analysts in the street were doing the hybrid multiple. They still do this. In other words, they value the parks at one thing. And, and then they put a, a revenue multiple on the streaming business. But that revenue multiple, the street used to be between eight to ten times the, the streaming number. And then they layer in the multiple on parks. Now they're at four times. If I'm just looking at J.P. Morgan's report here. And I think that's fair. And again, it was the growth that they were getting the benefit from. Meanwhile, Netflix now is not about the growth. It's really about the profitability and the free cash flow. And and that's something that's pretty extraordinary and what makes, again, their streaming business very different. So getting back to the stock reaction, if that, I mean, that is the case. I mean, do you think that any part of the valuation changes based on this deal? Because if the answer is no, then it's no surprise that Disney stock barely moved. I think the market told you the. I think the market answered that question today. I don't think, in my opinion, right. I don't think they're rewarding it at all. So I don't think it has. I don't think it means. It, obviously, it means something in terms of stock, in terms of investors and traders. They don't seem to care about this. It's trading to me like this wants to have a 75 handle at some point, and then you have a day where it trades maybe 100 million shares and washes everybody out, and you have your capitulation moment. We haven't seen that yet. All right. For more on the Disney charter deal, let's bring in media analyst Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners. He's on the fast line for us tonight. Rich, great to have you with us. I'll I'll pose the same question to you. Um, Is this really win-win, or was there, there really a winner here? I mean, look, Disney had to do this deal, Melissa. Like, when you look at the existential risk to ESPN from a permanent drop. And you got to give it to Chris Winfrey. He went to the, you know, he really pushed harder than we've ever seen anyone push on Disney and more specifically on ESPN. But Iger, look, Iger is an amazing negotiator and he got a deal done. Did Charter get everything they want? No, I don't think Charter got everything they want. They certainly wanted lower penetration requirements for ESPN in terms of packaging. But look, they got Disney Plus being included at a very low wholesale rate. That's a clear win for Charter, and more importantly, for Charter subscribers, meaning the consumers who are watching Fast Money right now, Disney caved on that, and that's not something Disney wanted to do, 
heading into this negotiation. So I think you have to give the Charter the win, but it's not as big of a win as Charter would have liked. And Disney avoid the existential collapse of ESPN. Did the NFL bully these guys into coming to a deal? I mean, that's a really good question, Melissa. I don't know. I mean, I'd say every sports league, you think about Disney is wedded to, every sports league is wedded to ESPN, or the vast majority are wedded to ESPN, not to mention things like UFC as well. Everybody wants ESPN to survive. I don't think ESPN was viable if it lost all charters, 14 million subscribers. I don't think you could recover from that. And so... I think this gets you to survive. Um, obviously, there's still going to be significant financial headwinds. I mean, I, I would look at there's two choices. You had two doors for ESPN, bad and worse. You know, bad was accepting a deal you probably didn't want to take. Worse was not being carried at all and having to suffer through step-ups in sports rights fees. And so this is better than the worst-case scenario. But I don't think – so the reason why you guys were talking before I got on about the stock's reaction – I think the reason the stock's reaction was muted is, like, this is not a clear, like, obvious, huge win for Walt Disney. This is doing what they need to do to continue to, you know, have an ongoing linear business. But there's still real challenges with how they transition ESPN into a viable D2C business. I don't mean ESPN Plus. I'm talking the true core ESPN going fully D2C. That's not an easy transition to pull off. Rich, it's Karen. Let me ask you, how do you think this, uh, what do you think the future holds for then a uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, a Paramount? How do you think those well, play out? Karen, you are asking the most important question out of all of this today. As she does. Which is, okay, is, this, is this a new paradigm? Like, is this a new construct of which all, just all programmers, meaning media companies, I don't care whether it's your parent company, NBC Universal. I don't care whether this is Paramount. Does everybody now, when they're doing a deal for linear cable networks or broadcasting cable networks, do you have to include your streaming at a wholesale rate as part of that bundle? That's obviously something that never happened before. Charter has deals coming up with several other big media companies in the next 18 months. I believe all of them are going to have to do this. That's going to be table stakes now, given that Disney just agreed to it. And does this become what Comcast does? I mean, if you think about Comcast, they used to include Peacock as part of your video package. They've started making you pay for it. I wonder if that holds up or whether whether it's Peacock or Paramount Plus. Does everybody who subscribes to linear TV packages just get all of these streaming services? And that really changes the future of streaming. It's more about the bundle again. Funny enough, it's more about the bundle and less about actually being D2C. Maybe that's just recognition. D2C is really hard, and most of these companies are not cut out to compete with Netflix. That also makes it seem like like these you know streaming services will be offered more ad supported. If that is the case, they're going to be offered free within the bundle. But on the flip side, it could be an opportunity for people to sample this and say, you know what, I'm willing to pay for yep. it without ads. Look, I think that's absolutely true. And I think one of the questions that I have is, you know, when you think about the ad supported, do people like do people want to upgrade and pay a little bit more to get rid of the ads? I assume Charter will offer. I mean, I, I don't know this, but I would guess. There's like a, hey, get it for free as part of your package, but can you pay an extra 4 or $5 to get rid of the ads? That's the way Peacock launched when it first launched on Comcast systems originally. There's a lot we don't know yet. I mean, a lot that's in process. But look, I think the good news for the consumer is if you were already paying for the big bundle because you're a diehard sports fan, you're now getting more stuff in, you know, as part of that. Your price is obviously going to keep going up, which is the negative. 
But at least you're not having to say, hey, I'm paying for Disney Channel in the bundle and I'm paying for Disney Plus out of the bundle. And if you think about what happens with Hulu and Hulu probably gets included with Disney Plus over the next 12 months, this does seem to give the this does seem to be a net positive for consumers as you look at it, forgetting about what it means for the companies. And I'm really curious whether every other company has to follow suit now. Rich, thanks so much for phoning in. Appreciate it. Rich Greenfield, Lightshed Partners. Guy, how do you think about this? I think it's Disney to me, you wait for the capitulation. You haven't seen it yet. Charter seems to have some tailwinds. The stocks rallied 30-something percent from the low, but I still think it has some room to the upside. But I think Tim mentioned earlier, Netflix is the clear winner still. It's Netflix world, especially with this writer strike. So sports, great. Everybody's yay, yay, Packers, and the Jets play tonight, and Are yippee. <laughs> they don't play the Packers. <laughs> Just kidding. But, I mean, you know, Bills, as disappointed buddy. as I am today, Enjoy it while it lasts there, Jet fans. You might be in the same boat tomorrow. <laughs> why, why, is this, why is Disney not a value stock, yeah. Debt, for one thing, right? I mean, and that's something in common with both Warner Brothers and Paramount. Debt. It's interesting that Tim was so frustrated over the weekend. I know it wasn't just the Giants. Um, but, you know, yeah. some of the stuff, it's getting really, it's <laughs> re- it's getting really complicated. Okay? So, like, for instance, it used to be you sign up with Spectrum. You got your cable. You got your Internet. You got your, your, your line. They put a box right. in there, and you got all the channels. you just, like, a la carte. Now you got Internet. All right, so here's what I do. I have YouTube TV, and I get the Red Zone. I get all I mean, now we're, we have a lot more access to cool stuff that we couldn't get before. So if you wanted, you know, um, the DirecTV, you know, all-access plan for NFL and that sort of thing. Um, but then you have to go start picking off all these things, right? You know what I mean? And Sounds that, complicated. No, Sounds no, like, I mean, a lot no, more complicated it, it, than most people want no, to do. It, they want to get back to the bundle. It really is. I mean, and, but and somebody's so going to bundle it's, it. It's, it's, like it's the it. streaming plus bundle with an ad-supported model, which is the same thing I have yeah. when I watch cable TV. Yeah. I admit, I watch cable yeah. TV because yeah. there's three things I want to watch, including CNBC, ESPN, and news. And, right. and that's it. So... I mean, you know, sometimes you walk into a New York City diner, you open the menu, it's like 12 pages long. Yeah. It's really hard to make a decision. That's, that's what, what that, that, That's kind of what it is. Guy right. still gets a steak. No, no, no. I'll tell you. you know, well, you went again. You went down the road. So I'll tell you what I get. I know those menus. Hot open roast beef, fries with gravy, hot open roast corn if they mean? have it. What, do, what does it mean? Hot roast beef sandwich with gravy on top? Thank you, That's not on every menu. In the army. That's like every menu. Stop it. That's the greasy spoon in your neighborhood. And a chocolate shake. We've got a news alert. Back to news on UPS. The company just announcing financial details of its contract with the Teamsters Union. Frank Holland's got the details. Hey, Frank. Hey, Melissa, you know, those details just crossed, but important to note, UPS shares, they've fallen about 5% since July 25th when the Teamsters announced $30 billion in new money in a tentative deal with UPS that would eventually be ratified to avoid the costliest strike in the, in the U.S. in the last 100 years. Today, as you mentioned, UPS released their take on the financial details. We also sat down exclusively with CEO Carol Tomei. But it's not a $30 billion deal. It's a great deal for our people. It's a great deal for all the stakeholders. When I look at the economics of the Teamsters deal, um, the compounded annual growth rate of that deal is 3.3%. To put that in perspective, the yield on the five-year Treasury today is 4.4%. And even if you look at the historical average of the five-year Treasury, it's 3.7%. So we came in a number that was under a five-year Treasury yield. That's pretty good. All right, well, we did ask again, but Carol Tomei would not release the exact cost of the Teamsters contract. However, UPS did say that 46% of the cost of the contract would be borne out in the first 12 months of that deal. And tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange, we will have the full interview with Carol Tomei 
on the Teamsters deal, on the holiday peak, and also the increasing use of AI and machine learning in their operations. It'll be a great interview. You don't want to miss it. Again, that's tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Melissa, back over to you. Frank, thank you. Look forward to that. Frank Holland. Um, was it a surprise to you, Karen? Um, I mean, was, I, I didn't know the numbers would be exactly. I guess it's a little bit better than I thought. I like UPS here. I like Carol Tomei. Uh, very good. I mean, she said we will not have a strike. She said that way before. Maybe this she gave up some negotiating power, but I think it's better overall. I'm a huge Marissa Tomei fan. Spelling's a bit differently, <laughs> yeah. but neither here nor there. 158. Go back to February of 21. Go back to last October. This stock has bounced from that level. I think it's trading 160. You have something to trade against, is my point. Valuation is okay. The stock has gotten whacked. This might be sort of a catalyst for a stock to trade higher in the well, near term. we've got some big union contracts to discuss. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm not saying these may be apples to oranges, but they're not. Right. Coming up, we're watching Oracle in the after-hour session. That stock's on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details from the quarter next. Plus, Diamond not banking on banks. Why J.P. Morgan CEO isn't so optimistic about his own sector. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Oracle shares at after hours lows after the company's report. Let's get to Christina Partsinabolis for more. Christina. Well, Oracle's push into the cloud infrastructure business is what had many analysts excited for this earnings report and exactly how Oracle CEO started the earnings call, which is underway right now, pointing out that business, which is called OCI, grew 66% year over year in Q1. Sounds great, but that's less than last quarter. So it's already starting to slow down. Oracle is still ways away from Amazon's AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure in this category. And it's not just cloud, hardware, service, hardware, services, cloud licensing segments all came in lower than estimates and contributed to the slight revenue miss of $12.4 billion. Oracle CTO Larry Ellison spoke about future growth in press release saying, quote, as of today, AI development companies have signed contracts to purchase more than $4 billion of capacity in Oracle's Gen 2 cloud. That's twice as much as we had booked at the end of Q4. For guidance, it was going on just as I came downstairs. I just heard the CEO, Saffir Katz, say that total Q2 revenue should grow about 3 to 5% in constant currency. And that means a non-GAAP EPS should also increase about 
$1.27 to $1.31, which is a little lower than the 133 adjusted estimate and probably why we saw the stock just drop even more from that 4% negative level to now uh, 8% lower. Uh, she talked about CapEx spend being very similar in fiscal 2024, but still, all of that information, not enough to get this stock up. Yep. Christina, thanks. Christina Partsnellis. Slowing growth in a key growth area um, at a time when the stock is up 55% year-to-date, Guy. Right, exactly. Flip side of that coin is valuations, okay. Trades at a market multiple. Now, if this was trading at 55 times next year, and you have this number, I'd be like, not good. The stock should be down 10%, 15%. This is a reasonable valuation. And by the way, cloud services plus license is now 77% of the revenues. I mention that because that's highly visible recurring revenue. You should be rewarded for that. So there was a time when IBM used to be rewarded for their recurring revenue, traded a huge multiple. Oracle's not enjoying that for whatever reason. The stock's had a huge run. But I think it's overdone to the downside. Well, here. it's interesting. You know, uh, if you go back and look at June, the gap there. And so when the company reported and they guided and they were talking about some of the great trends here. And obviously, this is a company that's going to benefit off this, you know, a much lower base than some of their larger competitors. Some of those growth rates that they just had up there are kind of odd popping. But the stock is probably 15 percent in the last month. So when you think about the multiple that guy is speaking to, it's also very expensive for this company that doesn't have the sort of scale that many of its competitors do. So when Larry Ellison's on there and I was looking at the press release also, he says, you know, is this um, one of the, the biggest, you know, uh, you know, technological shifts? Yeah, maybe it, with an exclamation point, not a question mark. OK, right. so he, they have to speak this way. But if the growth rates are not, if they're decelerating, that's what we saw out of Q2 earnings and Q3 guidance. That's why some of the companies that had these huge springs, you know, sold off of it. This stock's up 100 percent in the last 12 calendar months. Yeah. I mean, what do you want? I mean, I, in, in their last quarter, they were up 18 percent or so in terms of constant currency. Sequential, you know, and this was a pullback, but there was nothing bad here. Um, I think you're buying the weakness, which I think mm-hmm. is what guys said. Yep. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Time to bank on banks. Not so fast. Even Jamie Dimon isn't too hot on the group right now. The details next. Plus, semi-surge. Qualcomm landing a sweet deal with Apple for the next few years. A chip check and the latest curveball being thrown at Apple in China. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon had a hot take on the new capital requirements that financial regulators have imposed on banks. Here's what he had to say. Honestly, like, say, listen, do they want banks ever to be investable again? You know, I, I, you know, look at my money. I'm not going to sell my stuff like that. I think we're going to navigate it. I wouldn't be a big buyer of banks. Look, I'd be no better than Equal Way, whatever you call it. (laughs) (laughs) Global Financial Services Conference in New York earlier today. His comments come as big banks remain deep in the red for the year. I'd love to call up the, the 
<laughs> J.P. Morgan bank analyst to see what he has to say about Jamie's comments. What do yeah. you have to say about his comments? Well, you know, if he's equal weight, I think he, looking at the last proxy, I think he had about a billion two worth of stock. So I don't know where the rest of it is. But I think, you know, it's kind of in his... Uh, it's he's sort of, sort of talking his book in that he wants to say to regulators, look, you're making this business so difficult right. that that's going to be bad for the economy. And for a long time, he said, you know, if he were a private credit lender, this would be great for him because the regulators are driving the business away. Nevertheless, I'm long J.P. Morgan. Of course you are. Yeah. As you, sh <laughs> as you should be. But when he said, listen, I get it tongue in cheek to a point. But he chose to say it as well. And he's saying a lot of the same things we've been saying for a while. Regulation is coming. Value, you should not be paying a premium for a lot of these stocks. On top of that, you wonder, what is going to be demand for credit going forward? What does the environment look like? I don't think it's necessarily favorable for banks. Well, that's, I think this is a credit discussion uh, on the consumer level. Mm -hmm. And so we're throwing around numbers. We do it all the time these days on this desk. And, you know, some numbers I was looking at this morning in terms of uh, debt, essentially debt servicing as a percentage of household income is now at a level it's not been since June of 2008. And at 4.3% of the take-home salary, I mean, you know, it starts to become an issue where you wonder. I mean, banks banks are always, let's sell first, ask questions later. And as it relates to the consumers, as it relates to credit, look at Citibank trading through the SVB lows. Mm -hmm. Citibank, like the fourth largest money center bank in the world, and, and it's trading as if there's a big, big problem. So Jamie's right when he characterizes the banking sector in terms of, you know, and if you look at global banks, I mean, European banks trade at 0.6 times price to tangible book with about a 6% dividend yield. I actually think that looks pretty, pretty interesting, especially in a world where their central banks are now having to raise rates. One might say that, uh, you know, households, they built up a lot of savings through the pandemic, but the San Francisco Fed says all the savings that, that will be exhausted by the end of this quarter, which is, by the way, just around the corner. So the, the note on strength of the consumer yeah. it may not be there as interest rates continue higher. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is, that what, are the, what is the performance? What is the sentiment from Jamie Dimon, whose bank actually acts very well relative to all the other names that we could announce right now? I mean, when you look at the BKX, right, and you look at the KRE, which is the regional banking, they're, they're trading right where they were in mid-March when we were in the throes of a banking crisis that took down some very large banks. You know, when, when you think about SVB and, and Signature and the like here, so, um, again, I think they probably signify that if the economy does get a bit tougher, if credit gets harder, if consumer gets worse, if unemployment goes higher, that we are probably going to finally have that recession that a lot of these same investment banks, a lot of their strategists, a lot of their economists are putting the odds of a recession at under 20 percent. Goldman just put it at 15 percent down from 20 last week or so. So to me, that's what they're telling me. All right, coming up, an apple a day gives Qualcomm a big boost. The chipmaker inking a multi-year deal with the tech giant and the news has invested biting into the semi-stock, how you should trade it next. But it's not all green arrows for Apple. A rise in nationalism around Huawei could pressure iPhone sales as investors await tomorrow's iPhone 15 launch. We've got the uh, details live from Shanghai when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks kicking off the week in the green. The Dow jumping 87 points. The S&P up nearly seven-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the charge up more than one percent. Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk hitting another set of all-time highs today as the popularity of weight loss drugs continue to boost the group. And on the other hand, shares of RTX tumbling nearly eight percent. The defense company saying a manufacturing flaw with its Pratt & Whitney engines will result in a $3 billion charge this quarter. The stock falling to its lowest level in in over two years. And another down day for Bitcoin, the crypto briefly dipping below 25,000 for the first time since June. And Qualcomm shares uh, jumping almost 4% today. Chipmaker extending its agreement with Apple to provide 5G modems for its smartphones into 2026. This is Apple is set to unveil the new iPhone 15 tomorrow, which will reportedly have USB-C charging ports, titanium casing, and improved cameras. Big deal for Qualcomm, because that was always a question mark. It should have been. Yes, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. The stock has been hammered over the last, you know, you just look at it over the last six months, nine months, down significantly. You think an announcement like this, given their valuation, the stock's easy up 10, 12 percent. Closed up what? I want to say three and a half percent. I mean, not. I don't think it's a particularly good performance. So good for Qualcomm. But we've learned historically, it's great to say Apple's a client, blah, blah, blah. Apple has a way of squeezing their suppliers, so maybe not as good as the market thinks. Yeah, it is a 22% customer, so it's important. And I think a lot of folks who are looking at Qualcomm and they're just looking how they've just missed different trends over the last few years that, you know, smartphones are really, really important for them. 40% of their business is, uh, is uh, Samsung and Apple combined. Um, yeah, it didn't trade particularly well. The one thing I'll say about Apple, it's interesting with, with some of the China stuff. I mean, when you think about it, Apple has been gaining share in the smartphone space in China. It's got about like 20%. I think that's up pretty significantly over the last few years. And some of this nationalistic stuff, I mean, I think we've been talking about this. It's really interesting. We always said it's going to be the last battle fought. I think the fact that the Chinese came out so quickly and were targeting Apple, it shows that they could get um, a lot more aggressive. But the flip side of this is they're still number four in market share in China. And I think this is a lesson that I think we're going to be talking about as it relates to EVs and, and other consumer products with U.S. names on them, too, over the next few years, especially if things get dialed up here. Well, I, there's no question. I mean, the news last week was Apple and it was, you know, whether folks at state enterprises could actually use the phone. That, that's not the news. The news is Huawei Mate 60. This was that they've been able to get around uh, the 5G chip dynamics that they've essentially created a phone with a chip in it that, that's Chinese made that allows them to do what they want. It's priced in the right space. And if you look at Android market share for the last two months, uh, they've been stealing it. And Huawei has taken a two to three point uh, share rise during that time. So I, I just think you know, you're going to continue to see this. I mean, it doesn't have to be out, Apple being outlawed. And I think we did the right job with, with that story last week, which isn't to say that's happening overnight. The state state SOEs are, you know, that would be 50 million employees or something massive. Yeah. So we weren't, that was not the suggestion. The suggestion is part of it was just sentiment. Part of it was just the reality that, that Apple has devoted so much time. And the market share gains that they've made over the last few years have been extraordinary. Um, but at some point, I, I think the phone's too expensive. I mean, those people who work at the SOEs, the state-owned enterprises, they may a higher salary than other people who work in similar urban areas. And so that's that's really a demographic that I, one would think Apple would want to keep. That's a demographic, exact demographic who would buy those higher price phones. So this, it's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. But this sort of bundles up all of Apple's problems, which is really slowing revenue growth overall for their devices. Mm -hmm. Slowing revenue growth and a multiple that I think is just too mm -hmm. high. So um, if that if this accelerates to the downside and it gets sort of not just kind of a oh just government employees but it gets broader and maybe a little bit more than a suggestion, that would really be terrible news. That doesn't seem to me to be priced in. Yeah. 
One thing, mm -hmm. you know, you could poo-poo this launch tomorrow, this uh, Apple 15, but guy, USB-C port. I love those USB. USBs. That's my favorite port. I mean, think about that. <laughs> think about that. That's better than the It's coming with a USB-C port. Can't believe it. I can, <laughs> I can hardly contain my enthusiasm. Look, take a look at me. <laughs> For those of you on radio, it's just a stare. Sorry about that. Um, meantime, a new campaign taking root in China could spell more trouble for Apple. A surge of social media posts over the weekend drumming up support for Chinese smartphone maker Huawei over Apple. So what could this seemingly nationalistic push mean for the iPhone maker's business in China? CNBC's Eunice Yoon's got that story. Eunice. Thanks so much, Melissa. Well, the hashtag that's most popular is Huawei Rockets with 710 million views. Now, the argument is that Huawei technology must be taking off. And now that the U.S. government is looking into whether or not Huawei phones had breached U.S. export controls, state media and as well as Chinese media more broadly has been fueling this nationalism. State TV posted a clip that claims despite the U.S.'s extreme bullying, Huawei has risen. Um, it's promoting the slogan, China chip, China heart. A nationalist outlet um, also calls the new Huawei Mate 60 Pro a Pearl Harbor wake-up call for the United States. Now, tech media are running polls that are pitting the Huawei phones against the iPhone 15. Uh, this one asks, would you give up your iPhone now that Huawei is back? Uh, most answers tend to be pro-Huawei. Now, what we haven't seen is much discussion about the reported iPhone restrictions at government entities. In fact, the government has yet to acknowledge uh, blatantly any of these notices. Melissa? Eunice, you've been there for a while. You've seen these sort of uh, spurts of nationalism on social media before against other U.S. brands. And I'm wondering how this sort of compares in your view. Well, it's uh, bigger in that it's targeting Apple, which a lot of people thought that uh, wouldn't really be touched very much just because it does, in fact, um, as you guys were discussing, employ a lots of people. Um, and also people do love the phones. And I think that's what's kind of interesting here is that despite this nationalism surge that we're seeing online, it's, it's difficult to say whether or not that actually would translate into sales. In fact, uh, there are some people who are commenting and kind of pointing it out a little bit um, before some of the comments disappeared, where uh, they were saying, you know, there's these polls, all the responses are pro-Huawei, but then why are the sales pro-Apple? Hmm. Eunice, thank you. Eunice Yoon in Shanghai for us tonight. Uh, just quickly, it doesn't have to be an outright ban. It can be what's known as a shadow ban, mm -hmm. implication by the Chinese government and Chinese citizens fall in line. Yeah, and, and that, that is what you get. And sentiment-wise, I mean, if you think about where Apple is in this country, Huawei is that national champion company, at least in perception. And the fact that this is a phone that's a much more affordable price point with technology that is being applauded. It's, it's, as, it's actually this is breakthrough innovation without having to use the same technology to go 5G. It's getting you a synthetic 5G outcome. Yeah, and then, you know, we've been talking a lot about NVIDIA, and we've been talking about where, like, a lot of those orders have been coming, and so a lot of them have been kind of sneaking in over the last two quarters in front of these bands and the like here, and I just think that if Huawei and some of the other chip makers over there are able to, to kind of replicate some of the advances that we have made or some of our guys, I, I think that these, these stocks are trading way too expensive. I mean, like the NVIDIA thing. So to me, I, I don't know. I mean, this is one that I still confounds me. 
Coming up, it's just another Merger Monday. The delicious details and a billion-dollar <laughs> junk food acquisition. Should you snack on these stocks or traders are hungry for gains? Oh, First, boy. Is, oh, is boy. Dojo the mojo Tesla needs here? One big Wall Street firm thinks so. Those trades and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A huge boost for Tesla today. Shares seeing their best day since January as analysts at Morgan Stanley say the EV maker's supercomputer Dojo could charge Tesla's valuation by $500 billion. Dojo is the technology behind Tesla's automotive excuse me, autonomous driving systems. Analysts upgrading the stock to an overweight, raising the price target to a street high 400 bucks. That's more than 40 percent higher from today's close. What do you make of this? Uh, so no. now, so it's $850 billion, So now it's going to 62. So and add another 62%, right? Now it's a one and a half. And listen, Adam Jonas is great. It was his note. Good for him. The stock rallied. I get it. This isn't happening, though, next quarter. It's not happening probably a year from now. And when you go back and look at Tesla, it's about, in my opinion, for the next couple quarters, it's about margins. And last quarter margins, I think, were 17.5%. A lot of people thought that was going to be the trough uh, level for that. I think historic or legacy automakers are about 16 percent. God forbid on October 18th-ish when they report that number 17 percent or lower, this stock is way too expensive at these levels given those parameters. It kind of felt like uh, this came out because its price target was behind the stock and there was a need to justify raising it to 400. It did. You know, I don't know that he needed to, but it it is interesting that you start talking about a $10 trillion TAM. Um, And when are we talking about this $10 trillion TAM? And this has always been one of my biggest problems with Tesla when it was a a $50 billion TAM. And and so, you know, that's the dynamic. And I I think, again, the idea is that they have, and this is his words, uh, an asymmetric advantage. Tesla has proven to have an asymmetric advantage in EV. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, they're crushing people right and left. some of the dynamics here when we're doing DCFs and we're doing valuations to go out to 2030, um, but God forbid 2040, that's the problem here. So I, look, he, he's, a, he's a bright guy. He's been, uh, he, he's at times been very ahead of this trade. And as you said, Melissa, it looked like the target was, was actually behind. So, I mean, at, I don't know, 78, 80 times earnings, something's in there for that already. Right. Right. You would think, I don't know. So to me, this was the, just the collective data of all of their cars on the road that they've had for years. They always talk about how many million miles they have, what asymmetric advantage they have. I I believe that. I just, I find this difficult to see also, but I've missed the whole wagon. Meantime, Adobe gearing up to report earnings Thursday and increasing AI fervor is around the stock. Option traders are betting the hype will translate into gains when results cross the wire. So let's go to Mike Coe for that. Mike. Yeah, it traded about one and a half times its average daily call volume. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5% after they report. That's in line with their historic average. The busiest contract were the September 562 and a half calls. Those at the money calls expire at the end of this week. Over 2,200 of them traded for a little over $14 a contract. So buyers of those are risking about 2.5% of the current stock price on a bet that the stock will trade higher following earnings. All right. Thank you, Mike. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Twinkies getting a little sweeter today as the snack food brand's parent inks a mega merger deal. But could the weight loss drug craze take a little sugar out of the stock? The ultimate lunchbox trade is ahead on Fast Money.
Welcome back to Fast Money. J.M. Smucker adding Twinkies, Ho-Hos. What? Excuse me? I don't think what? I've ever said that on TV. Zingers to its lineup, locking down a deal to acquire fellow snack food giant Hostess for $5.6 billion. Hostess stock soaring 19% while Smucker's slumped 7%. Meantime, analysts at JP Morgan, excuse me, Morgan Stanley out with a note today outlining risks that widespread adoption of weight loss drugs pose to packaged food makers. Hostess named one of the top companies most likely uh, to be adversely affected. So do Morgan Stanley's findings take some uh, sweetness out of this deal? Tim, you love your ho-ho. Well, uh, easy. Um, although, I mean, I'd like to do a would you rather on the difference or the, the, the ring ding versus the ding dong. Karen, I mean, do you? I, I, it's not really something I traffic think in. about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, be, be, whether Hostess suffers from this or not, talk about one of the great private equity deals of all time. When Apollo and, and Metropolis bought it for 400. I remember we were on the show that night and we were talking about things like ho-hos and yodels and things like that. So um, I don't know. At this point. Seems like Hostess just rang the bell. Yeah, it seems like a good time for a sale. Nice job. Although my favorite Smackers merger of all time was the acquisition of Jif Peanut Butter. Oh, yeah. Jif Smackers. Had- Jif? Yes. Peanut Doesn't Butter get brand, guys. You, I mean, Jif. Skippy. Skippy. Skippy, that's number Interesting. two. Everyone ever call you Skippy? <laughs> <laughs> Stock got whacked. I get it. People say they over, overpaid. I yeah. get that. But you know what? It's been a great brand, and valuation is still reasonable. So I think on this sell-off, SJM is viable, yes. I'm thinking that maybe Tim's going to be putting this in his CMBS, in his cannabis. Like, think about this. Because I mean, the, that, the hostess. The yeah, I mean, like, yeah. that's where I would go with this. I mean that sincerely. If you have, like, the cannabis and what's going on here, I mean, like. It could be part of the cannabis ecosystem. Uh, that's right. I mean, listen, kids, don't do drugs. Stay in school. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? The hostess thing, I think it works in that in that ETF. But marijuana is legal. Yeah. Um, we're going to have the analysts on tomorrow, but I think it, it, this notion that if people reduce the number of calories they consume, they reduce the number of meals and What's snacks it do to they Coke consume, and Pepsi? it must have an impact on the food ecosystem. That's sort of the bottom line thing, right. whether it be, you know, a Twinkie, not eating a Twinkie we did this or with a bag behind of meat, though. I think we have to be careful. We did this with Behind Meat. We've done this with a lot of the, you know, some of these wellness diets. I mean, Yes, I hear you, but um, so do we go straight to Coke and Pepsi? Because, I mean, what? look at carbonated soft drinks already in terms right. of the developed world. It's still in the emerging world. They're killing it, but um, it's something to think about. All right. Um, Jim, by the way, is chatting exclusively with the Smucker CEO tonight. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour in Mad Money. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today marks 22 years since the September 11th attacks on America. As we leave you tonight, we want to remember all those who perished on that tragic day. Nearly 3,000 people lost their lives on 9-11 here in New York City, the Pentagon, and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 crashed. We also want to take a moment to say thank you to all the men and women who in the days, months, and years following September 11th have served and sacrificed for this nation. We remember and we will never forget. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.